That is the question we've been asking for the past few weeks in our series on the book of Ephesians. Uh, If you're just joining us, we're going through a series in the book of Ephesians called Who Do You Think You Are? And really, this whole series is about understanding our identity. And often what we've talked about is that we look to things in this world to define us, to tell us what our identity is, but really where we ought to be looking is into Scripture, because Scripture is very clear about where our identity can be found. Um, In fact, we saw in the very first week that our identity, what you see throughout the book of Ephesians, is that our identity is in Christ. Scripture says very clearly that our identity is in Christ. That's where God sees us. We are either in Christ or we're not in Christ. And so through that, we've seen a number of things, but this morning we're going to be continuing that. And we're going to see that uh, as Paul has preached about being in Christ, this idea about being one in Christ comes up because you have the church in Ephesus is made up of two different groups. And um, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but in my experience, usually when you get two different groups of people together, there's about five different opinions about the way things ought to be done. And so Paul is having to stop and address some real-life issues there. And what we're going to see is Paul's encouragement is reconciliation and a reminder that we have been, in fact, reconciled through Christ. And so our identity in Christ, another aspect of that, is that I am reconciled. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Uh, I grew up in the, just outside of Houston, Houston, Texas. It's a, a pretty big city, a little bit south of here, south and east of here. And uh, I, was, I grew up in Friendswood, which is just outside of Houston, a little bitty town. Lived for a couple years in Katy. But one thing that I loved about growing up near a major um, metropolitan area was the diversity. I had friends from all different kinds of backgrounds, and I had opportunities to see friends who, who lived differently than I did. Um, I would go to their house and see that their customs, their manners, the things that they do at their dinner table were different than the things that my family did at our dinner table. And it was always kind of interesting to me to see not just the differences, but a lot of times the similarities. Uh, You know, even no matter what the culture was, the background, if the mom said, go clean your room, the response was the same. Oh, mom, you know, it was always the same thing. So there were some similarities, but there were also differences. And it was always intriguing to me. As I got older, I had a chance to travel a little bit. I've gone to Brazil and to Russia for some short-term missions. And it's interesting, as you travel the world, if you've done any traveling, what you often find is that there are two groups of people that can never get along. There's just always seems to be tension. It doesn't matter where you go, whether it's, whether it's, TU versus A&M, there's that tension that's there. Or whether it's one people group against another people group, there's some sort of tension there no matter where in the world you go. Northern Ireland is a, a great example of this. Sometimes there are, there are just spiritual walls, and that's what Paul's going to be talking about today. He's talking about some spiritual walls that divide the people. But you go to Northern Ireland, and there is a physical wall, a physical wall that that is really just a representation of the spiritual wall that exists between two groups of people, the Protestants and the Catholic. They just can't get along. There's so much tension that the only and best option was to build a wall between the two people to divide them. You see this very clearly. Uh, it's, it's something that we see uh, even in the city of Jerusalem. If you were to travel to Jerusalem, there are four quarters of Jerusalem. And what you can see is that there's a Christian quarter, there's a Muslim quarter, there's an Armenian quarter, there's the Jewish quarter. And then uh, right in the middle there at the end, you have the temple. 
And nobody can agree on who should be where. And if you could see, if you were to travel to the city, you'd see that there's the old wall that surrounds the city, but there are wall, literal walls dividing these people. There are literal walls in, which only represent the spiritual walls that, ex, that exist between the people because there's so much tension between them. So this morning as we talk about reconciliation, Paul's going to use a phrase um, called the dividing wall of hostility. And we're going to talk about that in just a second, but understand this first and foremost, that when Paul is talking about this dividing wall, he doesn't have in mind a physical wall, but a spiritual wall. And the only way to bring that wall down is through reconciliation. That's what Paul tells us. Now, before we dive into the text and before we talk about that phrase, dividing wall of hostility, I, I want us to all have the same understanding of the word reconciled. So first thing we want to do is define the word reconciled. To be reconciled simply means to be at peace. That's it. It means to be at peace. And it's this idea of two groups that were once arguing, fighting, that have now become friends again, right? Something was broken. There was a relationship that was broken, and it's now been healed. It now has fixed, it's been fixed, right? There's peace in that relationship. So when we talk about being reconciled, really what we're talking about is the idea of making peace, to be at peace with whatever that other uh, entity is that we have that disagreement with. And so when we talk about reconciliation this morning, when we talk about being reconciled, we mean that we are at peace. And we're going to see a little bit more about what that entails in just a moment. Um, Our theme this year has been uh, redefining relationships. And really what we're going to see, what I believe we see this morning is that when we are reconciled and we recognize that we are reconciled, that redefines a number of the relationships in our lives. And in fact, it can often redefine us and redefine our relationship with ourself. And so just want to remind you of, of our theme and, and keep in mind of uh, as we talk about being reconciled this morning, I, I want to encourage you to be thinking through how does this redefine who I am? How does this redefine how I interact with others? And I think we're going to see that pretty clearly. Well, before we divide, divide, dive into, that was easy for me to say, before we dive into Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, I want to point out a phrase that Paul uses here. I've already mentioned it. He talks about this dividing wall of hostility. Now, you have to put yourself in the mindset of a first century Christian who, even though they're in Ephesus, and you've got two groups of people here, you've got the Gentile Christians and you've got the Jewish Christians, and this is really where the tension comes in, but whether they were Jewish or Gentile, they would have been familiar with the temple in Jerusalem. And as you look at this picture of the temple in Jerusalem, what you're going to see is that there are a number of walls that divide the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, if you go all the way over to this other side, as you enter in through, you'll see that there's, there's the golden gate that people enter in through, and then there's also the court of the Gentiles. And in between the court of the Gentiles and the court of Israel, the rest of the temple, you'll see that there is a wall. And the Gentiles knew that crossing that barrier, crossing that wall, could mean death for them. It could cost them their life. They weren't allowed to go any closer than that. But then there are even further divisions. I don't know if it's on here. Yes, it is right here. You have the court of women. This was as far as the women were allowed to go. And then you have even further divisions. You have the holy place. And inside the holy place, you have the holy of holies, which is the most holy place, which was divided by a three-foot leather curtain. It's the very curtain that was torn from top to bottom the moment Jesus died. 
And even that curtain, while it was operational, while the temple was functional, only one time a year was a priest allowed to go in there. This was such a, a special place that you had to be, like the lot had to fall on you. It had to be your turn. And man, you better be sure that you were right with God. They would tie bells on the priest that went in there. And they would tie a rope around him because if he went in there and he had any sin in his life, they would drop dead. And they'd have to pull him out. So if they heard those bells stop jingling, they knew, oh, this guy, we've got to pull the rope. Right? That's pretty serious stuff there. There was a dividing wall. And so when Paul talks about this dividing wall of hostility, their minds would have immediately understood the physical wall, this physical division, not just of, of Gentile and Jew, but the physical division between man and God, their sin, right? That, that curtain was meant to be a barrier between the sin of the people and God. And so they would have immediately understood what Paul meant. And they would have also understood that Paul is not talking about a physical barrier, a physical boundary. But what Paul is talking about is much, much different. It is a spiritual boundary that separates not only us from God, but us from other people. If you think about our own nation's history, um, there is, at least to my knowledge, there has never been a time when we have had a physical wall that divides us. But think back 50, 60 years to the time of civil rights movement. Look at this picture. There's no physical wall there. But the spiritual boundary between the people was very real. And it caused probably even more division than a physical boundary could have. So you begin to get an idea, you begin to get a picture of this spiritual boundary that Paul has in mind. Now, what we have to understand is that when you look to something for your identity, when you look to your race or your education or your, your upbringing or the fact that I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm tall, I'm short, I'm young, I'm old, when you look to those things for your identity, what you find is that those things become an idol. And so you have an, in not just an identity crisis, you have an idolatry, idolatry crisis. And Paul is reminding the Ephesians today, remember that you are in Christ first and foremost. And as being one in Christ, you are reconciled. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. All right, let's stop right there. Gentiles by birth. Here's what he means. You have two groups of people. You have the Jews who were related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob by blood. Those are the Jews. Those are the nation of Israel. They're related to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Their parents, grandparents, somebody was related to the patriarchs, right? Those are the Jews. The Gentiles are everybody else, right? So if you're not Jewish, then you're Gentile. And probably most of us here would say, I'm in the Gentile camp, right? And so Paul is talking to the Gentiles, and he's saying, remember that that the formerly you who were Gentiles by birth called the uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at you time, you, that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, foreigners of the covenant promise, without hope and without God in the world. That's kind of a bleak picture for Paul to be painting for the Gentiles, but he's reminding them of where they were before they were in Christ. 
And so we've got some things going on here. You've got a, actually a little bit of name calling going on. Because the Jews who were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob would have been circumcised. That was a sign of the covenant that God gave to Abraham. When God made his covenant with Abraham, he said, look, this circumcision is going to be the outward sign of an inward covenant between myself and you and between your people and my people. And so all the males in your household are going to be circumcised. Now, here's the thing. The closest thing that I could think of that this relates to for us would be baptism as believers, right? Because baptism in no way plays a role in our salvation as far as the salvific work, right? Last week we saw it very clearly. You are saved by grace through faith, right? That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works. And so while baptism is an important symbol, it's an important way to identify ourselves with Jesus Christ, it doesn't save us. In the same way, God intended that circumcision would be a way for the the people of Israel to say, I'm identifying with the covenant of God. I'm choosing to place myself in covenant with God. Okay, and so... Since this was something that was passed down from generation to generation that, wow, you have a special covenant with God, they start to become a little bit arrogant. And they think that we're better than everybody else because we're the circumcised. They're the uncircumcised Gentiles. And so this starts to create hostility between the two groups. There's, there's the uh, haughtiness of the Jews, and then there's the hostility of the Gentiles towards the Jews, and these two groups are just not getting along. But Paul reminds the Gentiles of five things that they missed out on by not being Jewish. And he reminds them first in verse 12, he says, remember that at one time you were separate from Christ. And what he means by that is that uh, you were born outside the promises, outside the covenants of Israel. Being separate from Christ meant you had no national hope of a Messiah. Like the Jewish people had been told from the time they were little, you can go back to Deuteronomy 18, you can go back all the way to the promise of Abraham that through you all nations will be blessed. Deuteronomy 18, Moses says, there will come a prophet like me, listen to him, right? And so you have this promise of a national Messiah, a national Savior that's coming, that the Jewish people had that most of the Gentiles just would have been ignorant of because they didn't, they didn't have this upbringing that the Jewish people had. The second thing he says is that you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. Remember, Israel, uh, Abraham was given a promise, and that part of that promise was the land in Israel. God made a covenant with him, and that land was to be a blessing. And it was meant for the Jewish people, for the people of Israel. And so as a Gentile, they would have missed out on that blessing. The next thing he says is that you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You're foreigners to the covenant of the promise. Again, Paul's reminding them, look, you guys didn't have all these promises. You didn't have the Abrahamic covenant. You didn't have the Palestinian covenant, the land covenant. You didn't have the Mosaic laws. You didn't have the Davidic covenant. You guys missed out on all these things because you were Gentile. And he's just reminding them of where they were. And he goes on and he says this, um, not only did you miss out on the covenant of the promise, but you were without hope. Without hope. You see, the hope for Israel was not just a national Messiah, but we see very clearly that the Christ, the Messiah, was also a personal Savior, a personal Messiah. And so because they didn't have knowledge of that, they missed out on the hope of that. They missed out on so much. And then he goes on and he says, and you were without God in the world. You were without God. You were separated completely from God. You had no relationship with him. 
If you have no relationship with God, you'll find very quickly that, that life seems to be without meaning. It seems to be without purpose or direction, and you find yourself wondering, what am I supposed to do? As we said in our very first sermon from the book of Ephesians, when you know who you are, then you know what to do. When you know that you're in Christ, then you know how you're supposed to behave. But when you don't have any of that connection with God, things begin to get a little fuzzy. And Paul's reminding them of all of this, and I love uh, what he, he goes on and he says this in verse 13. He says, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And so he says, All of these things, they no longer matter. All of these things that you missed out on are no big deal because you have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And to the Jewish people, he's saying, look, you guys take pride in all of these things, but they no longer matter. They no longer matter as far as relationship with God is concerned because that relationship, as we saw last week in verses 1 through 11 of chapter 2, you are saved by grace through faith. And that faith is in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying, but now you who are far have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ. This was, um, this was a pretty big deal because uh, there was, like I said, there was some name calling going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. You had the circumcision versus the uncircumcision. And the Jewish people, there was a lot of tension in the church because they had the law. They had the benefit of all the things that Paul has just pointed out. And so they would have grown up knowing all of these things. They would have grown up knowing all of the laws and all of God's expectations. And unfortunately, what happened was they took these laws, these things that God intended to point them to their need for a savior intended to point them to the messiah and they took those and said well if i just live these out then i'll get to heaven if i can just keep all of these commandments and never break them then i get to heaven but that's not reality right we saw that last week by grace you've been saved through faith not as a result of works, so that no one can boast but they became proud they became haughty Meanwhile, the, the Gentiles are coming into the church. If you remember, the first disciples that Jesus had were all Jewish. And Jesus says, uh, when he leaves in Acts 1.8, he says, you'll be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem. So Christianity really began to spread among the Jews. And then as it went out throughout the Roman world, it began to spread to Gentiles, which created a problem because the Gentiles didn't have the benefit of all the things that Paul was just talking about. They didn't have the law. They didn't know all the law. And so they come to church. They come to the, the new Christian church, and they're like, uh, homosexuality, is that okay? Um, when I go to the temple, can I sleep with the temple prostitute? Is that okay? Um, can, I, can I eat meat sacrificed to idols? Is that okay? And they just didn't know. Meanwhile, the, the Jewish believers over there, like, face palm, like, oh, come on, guys. We've been going over this for the last 4,000 years. Get with the program. And they're struggling because they're coming from different backgrounds. Let me be honest, what I love about River Rock Bible Church is that we have people who are coming to church for the first time in their life, and they're asking some questions. They're saying, well, I don't, I don't understand this. Is this okay? Um, I need you to walk me through this right here. I, I, I still don't know. I still don't get it. Is it okay if the pastor has his shirt untucked when he preaches? I, I don't know. Can we wear a baseball cap inside? I don't know. Can, can the music be loud? Should we do worship music, or should we do hymns like I just don't know. And those of us who've been in the church for a long time, man, we've got to be very careful that we don't start face palming, that we don't start thinking, I can't believe you don't know this, right? Because that's, that's a very easy tendency for us to say, come on, man, get with the program. Let's go. Uh, 
one of the things that we say at River Rock Bible Church, our, kind of our tagline is, belong, believe, become. We want people to belong to a family. So that as they belong to the family here at River Rock Bible Church, they can understand more and more about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. And as they understand more about what it means to believe in Jesus Christ, and they hear the word and they begin to understand it, then they will become who God desires them to be and who God has created them to be, right? For a long time, I think the church has gotten it backwards. They've, they've said, um, behave, belong, uh, and maybe believe, right? So if you behave well enough, then, then maybe you'll stick around. If you act like us, if you look like us, then maybe we'll accept you and you can be a part of our group. And then maybe out of that, you'll become a believer. But we've kind of reversed that, right? We want to say, man, the first and foremost thing is you've got to belong. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying, look, we need to let the Gentile people belong and walk with them through this. They they're just now getting it. They're just now learning. And so we've got to set those things aside. And I love what he says in verse 13. He says this, Now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now, it's very easy for someone to read that and say, well, he's just talking to the Gentiles. But the reality is this, that he's talking to both groups. He's talking to both the Jews and the Gentiles. Our identity in Christ is this, that I am reconciled to God. I am reconciled to God because as we talked about earlier, that dividing wall of hostility is not just between the Jews and the Gentiles, it's between us and God. And we saw this very clearly last week that we have a need for a Savior because every single one of us is a a sinner and sin creates a barrier between us and God. And Paul is saying right here that Jesus broke down that barrier. Jesus broke down that barrier between us and God. Um, If you continue on into verse 18, uh, I love what he says there. He says, For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. We both have access to the Father by one Spirit. He's reminding the entire church, Jews and Gentiles alike, of their need for relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.10 tells us that at one time we were enemies of God. Colossians 1.21 says that we were alienated from God. And Paul is reminding them of all this. He's saying, look, the dividing wall of hostility is not just between you two. It's between you and God. And let's get this, this straight. Both Jew and Gentile needed that wall to be broken down. And Jesus Christ broke that down through his blood on the cross so that all who would believe could have a relationship with God. Verse 18, I love, again, let me read it. He says, for through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I love this because you have a very clear picture of the Trinity here, right? There's a lot of people who say, well, where do you see the Trinity in Scripture? It's never specifically mentioned. That word's never used. We can find it in passages like this. It says we have access to the Father by the blood of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's right there. What a beautiful picture of the way that we come to God, the way we have relationship with God. And, and what he's saying here is that there is no second-class citizen in the kingdom of heaven. In the church, there's no such thing as a second-class citizen because we all come to God 
through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, we have equal access to the Father. And so no one group can say, well, I grew up in the church. I've been in the church since before I was born, so I have more access to God. No one can say, well, I'm just coming to the church now, so I don't have all these hang-ups with these traditions about you've got to have your shirt tucked in, and you've got to have this, and you can't do that. Uh, so I've got more access to God. And Paul is saying, no, there, there's equal access through, through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's no second-class citizen. So even your past sins, whatever it may be, your past sin, get this, your, your past may explain you, but it does not define you. You might want to write that down. Your, your past sin does not explain you. It may explain you, but it does not define you. It's a, a great reminder that as we think through our life, as we think through what's going on in our life, that if we are in Christ, that yes, we have messed up. But that does not define us. What defines us is the fact that we are in Christ and we have been reconciled with God. It may explain some of the things that we have in our life, some of the messiness, but they don't define us. And so I hope you can hear me this morning that no matter what sin you have going on in your life, no matter what your struggle is right now, if you are in Christ, that does not define you. That does not define you. What defines you is the reality that you have a relationship with God the Father through his son Jesus Christ and you have been empowered to live out that relationship through the Holy Spirit. That's the reality is that you have been reconciled, that you have been made at peace with him. And so Paul says, since we have equal access to God, there's no second class citizen. There's no more I'm white, I'm black, I'm Hispanic, I'm Asian, I'm young, I'm old, I'm rich, I'm poor, I'm tall, I'm short. There's no more of that. There's just the body of Christ. And this is the second thing that we see is that not only am I reconciled to God, I'm reconciled with others. Let's look at verse 14. He says, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Paul is saying, look, not only are you reconciled to God, you are reconciled to one another. You are now at peace. Jesus came to bring peace between all people. Jesus came so that, so that your peace could be with God, but you would also have this peace with each other. It's three to- four times in three verses, he mentions the word peace. Now, uh, what I love about this is that um, there were some real uh, prejudices that, that existed between the people of the church. Now, what Paul is saying is, look, you can have your preferences, but don't let your preferences become prejudices. We have to be very careful of that because there are, there are uh, if we all agreed on everything, then we would just have one giant church of Georgetown. But the reality is that there are a number of churches in Georgetown because we all do things maybe just a little bit different. Maybe one church says, um, let's only use piano and organ. 
one church says, let's use a full drum kit and an electric guitar. And one church says, let's find something in the middle, right? Those are all preferences. And so we have to be careful that our preferences don't become prejudices. We have to be careful that we don't say, well, this person doesn't raise their hand when they worship, so they may, may not be as close to God as I am. Or I can't believe they raised their hand in worship. How could they do that? That's distracting me, right? And so we have to be very careful that our preferences don't become prejudices. A great example is parenting, right? Parents know this more than anybody. Like, do you breastfeed or bottle feed? Do you do organic, gluten-free, you know, all-natural, or do you just give your kids the Oreos, right? Uh, And whatever choice you make, there's going to be somebody on the other side that says, I can't believe they do that. I can't believe they discipline their kid that way. I can't believe they don't discipline their kid that way. And our preferences become a prejudice. And what Paul is saying is that there is no room in the body of Christ for prejudices. In fact, he says to the Jewish people, uh, he reminds them that Christ broke down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in the flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. Now, if, you're, if you know your scripture, you know what Jesus says. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And what Paul is saying here, he uses the word that can be translated abolish, but really what it means is he renders it ineffective. What Paul is saying is that when Jesus came and he died, the law was rendered ineffective, and he's trying to bring awareness to the reality of, of the Jewish people that this law that you're trying to keep, this way that you're trying to earn God's favor, is impossible. It's ineffective, right? It, it's, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's not that, hey, uh, the law is no longer effective. I guess thou shalt not murder. We can go murder now, right? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that it's, it's inoperative. It doesn't have the power over you that it once had. It shouldn't have the power over you that it once had because you are saved by grace, God's unmerited favor through faith, simply trusting in him, not by your works. And Paul says that, and he's pointing out the reality of them that that you have now been made one. The hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles should no longer be there. I love what he says in Romans 10, 4. He says, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul is saying, look, you are all in Christ. This is what is important. This is what matters now. You need to be at peace with one another. Um, when Paul talks about, he says a couple of times, he talks about the two becoming one, or he talks about there's one new man. And really what that word new is, it's not new in time. Rather, it means that there is a fresh, there is fresh in quality, new in quality, not new in the sense that it's a, a brand new baby. But what he's saying is there is a, a fresh reality that's coming out of this, that the two are becoming one. Now think about this. How many of you, are recovering from wedding season this past summer, like you had like 10 weddings to go to, maybe you had a wedding, right? And uh, when you go to the wedding, what do they say? As the bride and groom stand up there, they don't say, now, bride, you are entering into your groom's family, and groom, you are entering into your bride's family. No, they say, the two are becoming one. The two are joining and becoming one. And Paul uses that same language here. He says, the two are becoming one. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There's one. 
There's one body of Jesus Christ. There's one representation of his body. Union replaces enmity. Right? So where there once was strife and enmity, there's now union. There's this not just union, but unity. What I love, what we say on our elder board is we want unity, not uniformity. So that means when we vote on stuff, we talk about stuff, there's five guys in the room, there's probably six different opinions on how it ought to get done. But when we vote on it, and we come to an agreement, and we say, okay, this is how we're going forward, then we all get on board. Even if we voted, you know, if there was a vote against it, we say, you know what, we're all on board with this. Let's move forward. We want unity, not uniformity. And I believe that's what God wants for his church. We don't all have to look alike. We don't all have to dress alike or listen to the same style of music or, or raise our kids the exact same way. God wants unity in his church, not uniformity. And so it's okay if there are slight differences, and we just have to be careful, again, that our preferences don't become prejudices. Because Paul, in these last few verses, 19 through 22, is going to say something very important about the reality of why it's so important that we set an example of unity and reconciliation in the church. And he says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners, aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Now remember back to those things that Paul said, you, you didn't have these, you were outside of these. Now he says, okay, now that you're in Christ, you're grafted in, is the language he uses in Romans. He says you're grafted into the family. You're, you're adopted as his sons into the family. And he says, uh, you're no longer foreigners, aliens, but now fellow citizens with God. People uh, and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, here's the reality that the temple in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of what was to come. The temple of the, the Old Testament where God's presence literally came down and dwelled inside the temple was a foreshadowing of what was to come in Jesus Christ, but also once Jesus Christ left in the book of Acts, we have where he promises the Holy Spirit. And he says, don't worry, I'm sending the helper. I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He's going to come. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells every single believer. And we know from other passages that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. So if you are in Christ, your body is a temple. You are a temple of God. Not only that, but not only are you just a single temple, but you're part of a greater, grander temple called the church. And Paul lays that out here. He says the chief cornerstone, the very foundation of this thing is Jesus Christ himself. And you are like a brick you're one of the big stones that's going to come and build together. And guess what? You fit together. You're being fit together, being built together to become the dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And so it's not just that I myself am a believer and I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. But as a church, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Christ. And if we as a church cannot demonstrate reconciliation between believers as the body of Christ then what reason does the world have to desire to be reconciled to God? That's what Paul's getting at here. He says, look, if you guys can't get along, all you're doing is hindering the gospel. Because when the, when the world looks at you and says, well, 
these people are saying that Jesus is the only way. They're saying that they, they've experienced true peace, true reconciliation with God through Jesus, yet they're constantly fighting with each other. Why would I ever want to be a part of that? Obviously, they don't understand peace. They don't understand reconciliation. They don't understand unity. If they did, they would love one another. We've talked about John 17 a number of times in Jesus' prayer for his disciples to be one, to be united, so that the world may know that he is the Son of God. And so I want to challenge you this morning as we, uh, as we close. I, I want you to take some time. Uh, if you have your connection card, would you just reach down and grab your connection card? If everybody would just grab it and turn it over to the back. Um, I'm going to ask right now that you would just respond in a couple of ways. The first one is this. Um, I want you to consider, am I reconciled to God? Has there been a point in my life, or, or am I able to say right now that, that I am reconciled to God, that I have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, that I am trusting in Christ and Christ alone is my Savior? What's your answer to that? If for the first time today or recently for the first time you, you would say yes, or you want to know more about that, if you would just check the box on the back that says, I'm interested in beginning a relationship with Jesus. I would love to follow up with you and talk with you about more about what that means, to be reconciled to God, what that looks like to begin a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And the second thing that I'm going to ask is, if you're here this morning and you have been reconciled to God, you would say, I know without a doubt my faith is in Jesus Christ alone. I know that. That's what my hope is in. I want to ask you, is there someone that you know who needs to be reconciled to God? Is there someone that, that you maybe work with, go to school with, are neighbors with, who is in need of a relationship with Jesus Christ? If you would, in the comments and prayer requests down there, if you would just write their name, we would love to be praying for them with you. Just joining you in prayer that, hey, I'm praying for so-and-so, that they would know Jesus. Just write that in the comments. Love to be praying for you. Uh, continuing on, we've talked about reconciliation with God, and, and really as believers, that's what we're called to do. We're told elsewhere that we are made uh, ambassadors for Jesus Christ, that we have a ministry of reconciliation. So it's not just enough that we know that, that we are reconciled with God. Our duty, our responsibility is to call others to that reconciliation as well, to minister to them in that. But at the same time, uh, as Paul said, not only are we reconciled to God, we are reconciled with each other. And so I want you to take some time, as Stephen plays here for a little while, take some time and pray through, is there someone in my life with whom I need to be reconciled? As I spoke with our, one of our elders this week about this message, he said, you know, a lot of times we make the mistake of only thinking about people who have offended us, and we forget to think about people that we may have offended. And so I want you to just take this time. You can bow your head, close your eyes, whatever you need to do, and just ask God, God, is there someone with whom I need to reconcile? Is there someone in my life that maybe I have offended and I need to seek their forgiveness? Is there someone in my life that maybe has offended me that that I need to let them know, hey, when you did this, man, it really messed me up. And if you would just write their name down so that I can be praying for you and for them this week. I just want to encourage you. I once heard someone say, uh, the church is the only army that shoots its own wounded. That shouldn't be reality. 
especially if there's someone in this body of believers or in the church. Maybe they don't worship here on Sunday mornings. Maybe they worship at another church. If there's someone in the body of Christ who's offended you, I want to encourage you, don't shoot the wounded. Bring peace to them. Do everything in your power to be at peace with them. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for um, this message of reconciliation that not only are we reconciled to you, but we can be reconciled with each other. And that there is equal access to God the Father through the cross of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would help us live that out this week. Lord, may we not only reflect on our own reconciliation with you, may we call others to that reconciliation, and may we seek peace with one another as a demonstration of the reality that not only are we at peace with you through your son Jesus Christ, that the world would see it. They would see that we're at peace with one another, and they would desire a relationship with you because of that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.